Hi, welcome to this episode of Author Eke. I'm Travis Davis, your host. Tell us your story. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Author Eke. Today, I have Reed Gillibreth here, and he's going to talk about uh, some things that he uncovered uh, in California and a book that he wrote, What Are the Odds? So I'm going to go ahead and let him introduce himself, talk about the book, give a background to see that uh, what he put in that book come from a very credible individual. So, Reed, go ahead. And, uh, uh, by the way, I want everybody to know that we both are published through Defiance Press and Publishing. But go ahead. Hey, Travis, thank you so much. Uh, you know, had a blast hanging out with you in Texas a couple of weeks ago. Uh, actually, meeting you in person was pretty awesome. So, uh, yeah, I, I came to Defiance Press because I wrote a book about my experiences uh, as a whistleblower with California State Lottery. A little background on me, I uh, worked in law enforcement for 13 years, was a sworn police officer, state investigator. I have a long background working in security, law enforcement, investigations. I uh, was a licensed private investigator in California, uh, handled countless investigations, worked for a few law firms, uh, testified in court and all that fun stuff. Oh, wow. Uh, born and raised in California, so actually was uh, born in Stockton, raised in Sacramento. Uh, kind of came from a background of public service, so mm -hmm. family was all military, law enforcement, teachers. Uh, was pretty much destined to go in some into some type of public service. And uh, what I hate little 20, did you know, <laughs> oh, one hundred percent. And that was where I was at. Is I was at this crossroads in my early twenties. And uh, it was either going to be law enforcement or military and mm -hmm. uh, chose to go to law enforcement route. And uh, that's what eventually led me to the state lottery. Uh, felt it was a very noble calling to, to be an investigator and try to safeguard money that was intended for public schools, which I, I don't care yep. where you're from, whether it's Texas, California or, or any other state, mm -hmm. the public schools need funding. So yes. I was happy to be a part of trying to protect that. Yep. Excellent. Excellent. So when did you write your book? Uh, so I actually wrote my book. Uh, what's interesting is it was kind of a full circle thing. And uh, I, I started writing the book in uh, 2016. Mm -hmm. So through my whistleblower activities, I, I was actually suspended by the state lottery and, and they essentially put me on house arrest. So Monday through Friday from... Eight to five, I was not allowed to leave my house except for a one-hour lunch break and uh, was wow. under surveillance from the state. And had I actually violated that, it would have given them grounds to terminate me. So I had a lot of free time. So between uh, catching up on some old shows and some PlayStation games that I never had the time to actually <laughs> working, yeah. um, I, I, I sat down and I, I started actually writing out all of my experiences because I, I knew that it was a story that I wanted to share mm -hmm. and I wanted to make sure that I, I got it out there and uh, being completely honest, I ended up taking a hiatus from it for several years. Mm -hmm. And, it, you know, I finished, I'd say about 60% of it mm -hmm. and then just kind of went out. And once everything was finally settled, uh, left law enforcement, cleared my name knew that pretty much my law enforcement career, my public service career was over because as soon as you disclose that you're a whistleblower, all of a sudden uh, the person on the other end of the table. Persona non grata. Yeah, yeah hold are. on a second. <laughs> we're, 
we're not actually interested in you uh you working for us. Here's my only Latin, uh, persona non grata. That's the only Latin I think I know. Well, there there's two that I know, and I, I can never I can never pronounce it correctly, but I'm gonna move just a little bit so I can read yeah. it to you. And that is K custoi cus ipsos custodis. And that is who watches the watchers. And that was actually a, a present that I got from uh, my best friend and his wife uh, when my book launched. Because oh, awesome. it went with the whole whistleblower uh, persona and, and, and the book. And yeah. persona non grata was the only other Latin term that I knew up until that. And I still can't <laughs> pronounce it right. <laughs> yeah, it was especially it's very uh, timely today, given, you know, all the whistleblowing that's going on by our uh, ISR or IRS agents and uh you know doj and other folks so i mean whistleblower play a significant role in watching the watchers right yes and it's so talk, tell us a little bit about your book uh how it how it kind of came about how did you say you know what something is wrong it's just not right well I, i'll tell you the the thing that really kind of kicked me in the butt, made me start uh, finishing it, was Kamala Harris. So Kamala Harris ended up being this uh, poster child for the, the Democratic Party where, you know, look at how amazing she is and, uh, you know, her background as a prosecutor and essentially the epitome of honesty and integrity. And, you know, I, I found myself kind of <laughs> screaming at my television when all of this was going on. And, and what really was the, the de deciding factor for me was the Vindman uh, situation. So, yep. so you had Vindman and here's Kamala Harris talking about how we, we have to protect whistleblowers and whistleblowers need to be heard and all of these other things. Well, I'm sitting in my living room and recalling everything that I went through and Kamala Harris's DOJ actually represented the state lottery against my lawsuit. So oh, wow. she, she, her DOJ did that. Uh, she actually had a, a legitimate complaint from uh, my deputy director at the time about the lottery misappropriating public funds. Mm -hmm. And instead of doing her job as attorney general and investigating it, uh, she played politics. She wrote him a letter, told him to uh, turn his concerns over to local law enforcement, which they would never in a million years investigate a state agency. Mm -hmm. And then out of nowhere, he was uh, removed from his appointed position and the highway patrol was brought in and all of this involved Kamala Harris. Right. So here you have this person that actually has a track record of, of not only failing to support whistleblowers, but protecting the government entities that actually were named in their complaints. Mm -hmm. So that kind of inspired me to, to sit down, finish that book. And uh, then this thing called COVID happened. I uh, don't know if you heard about it. but uh, <laughs> Well, not yeah, as much as I live in Texas. So not as much as some other states, but yeah. <laughs> this is true. And and the, the, the hardest part for me was... Um, I worked for a job where actually at the time I, I worked pretty much every day of 2020. Mm -hmm. And then in 2021, I actually got a little more time. I was working from home. And so at that point, obviously the election had happened. Uh, we were at the point where uh, Kamala Harris was getting put on this pedestal even more. 
And that really inspired me to finish the book uh, because I, I wanted to make sure that the story was out there because they're really every voice that tried to discuss the failures of Kamala Harris got dismissed because um, either they were they were labeled as racist or they were labeled as spreading misinformation, misogynist, yeah. misogynist, exactly. And and it wasn't hard to do because the track record was there. Uh, but we just we we ignored the track record. So for me, with even, without even considering the track record, it was the the fact that my situation directly involved being a whistleblower, and quite frankly, you had somebody who was uh, on a national stage being a hypocrite. So uh, well, I think that's that, typical with a politician. No matter what uh, party they belong to, they like they talk out of the side of their mouth or their neck, right? 100%. Double speaking out of the side of their neck. Uh, so, A, you know, I don't pay him any attention normally. Uh, but then, you know, you talk about COVID. I think I started working from home in 1999. So, I, I think I was like the pilgrims uh, coming to, you know, the United States on Plymouth Rock as far as work from home goes. People are like, oh, what, how do I work from home? What? I go, well, you work like you would in an office, but you go to Kroger to have your interactions <laughs> or, or, you know, you, you, you go out and, you know, talk to people, but it's the same thing. You do your work. I mean, to me, it was like simple. If I had to go back and sit in an office, I'd be a caged animal. But I mean, I think you're right about there. People start need to start keeping the politicians accountable. I don't care who they are about what they say in public, but do behind the public. Until somebody, then somebody comes out and says something about they, they, you know, like they, like there's current whistleblowers, you know, uh, you know, the, the the party that they don't favor is like, oh, these don't, these are unbelievable, right? But then you look at some folks like, you know, Vindman, he actually, I think he broke his oath of office as an officer in the United States Army, to be honest with you. Um, and uh, that's just my personal opinion, but yeah. Well, and that, and that was the that was the issue I had with that case is in the grand scheme of things. And when you go back and you look at, you know, being a whistleblower, I I often equate it to being part of a fraternity because it, it does take a lot of guts. And, and you know, I, I know what I went through and and I dealt with corruption. I, I dealt with misappropriating public funds. And and there were times that my uh, I won't say my life, but certainly my my safety and my reputation were absolutely threatened by mm. government officials. And I know what I went through. I, I can't imagine how hard it is to be somebody that discloses uh, something that that affects politics on a national level or or big business. I, I mean, mm. they, there was a really good case, and, and you know, forgive me, her her name is escaping me, but there is a woman that worked in the banking system. And, uh, you, you know, you talk about uh, whistleblowers should have bipartisan support. Mm -hmm. uh, the reason that they don't is because you have one political party that sees that whistleblower as a tool that they can use to further their agenda, wh whatever that might be. And, and yep. a lot of times we get so hung up on agenda is a political agenda and you're, you're trying to, to push uh, identity politics and things like that. I don't go that far. A lot of times agenda is is much more short-sighted. It, it's the person's uh, credibility, their stock. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, what can they do to make themselves look better? 
And this particular whistleblower disclosed that the banking systems, and I bring this up because I think it's really relevant to what's going on now. Uh, she brought up the fact that the banking systems were knowingly ignoring suspicious activity reports. And these were some of the really big banks, uh, some of which have since been named in lawsuits involving the uh, Epstein cases. And she was prosecuted because uh, basically, I guess, some of the documents that she leaked, she shouldn't have leaked. Um, and she got convicted, and I think she was sentenced to five to ten years in prison. So most of this happened uh, 2015, 2016. So this was during Trump's right. presidency. And what was really interesting watching the, the the whistleblower community is a lot of these guys were were adamant that um, what this whistleblower exposed was mm -hmm. was uh, primarily affecting Republicans. So that's why Trump didn't uh, give him a pardon. And thank goodness Joe Biden's here because he's going to ride in on a horse and, and save the day and pardon her. Mm -hmm. and, and lo and behold, he didn't. <laughs> so <Right. laughs> if that tells you something, especially when you look at what's going on with our current IRS whistleblower and what, what's being disclosed as far as holding back information and not taking enforcement action, I think it's very relevant. And this particular whistleblower, and again, I'm, I'm guilty of it myself. I, I can't remember her name off the top of my head, but mm. um, she hasn't been introduced to this discussion. And I, I would say that based on the number of suspicious activity reports that are being discussed with Hunter Biden, uh, her case is extremely relevant today. Yeah, I would think so. I mean, it's crazy. So being a whistleblower, what was it when the so you you blew the whistle, you know, you you exposed corruption within the lottery system uh paying people incorrectly or fraudulently. Was that is that about right? Yes. So the the way the lottery system works, and when I break this down, um, most of us have been to Las Vegas or Atlantic City or someplace where you can gamble. Mm -hmm. So you walk into a casino, you, you and I are friends, we both have $20. So we put uh, $20 into two different slot machines. In theory, you and I should have the same odds at winning a jackpot. The government oversees gambling and gaming, and they have very strict regulations on what uh, these different casinos are supposed to do. The problem with the government-run lotteries is they don't have the same requirements for the people that are selling lottery products. What this does is it makes trying to identify a legitimate winner uh, difficult. And then the other component to it is it gives the lottery the ability and the discretion to spend public money in a manner that they would if it were a private entity. So what happens with that is if I were to go to uh, you as my business owner and say, hey, I'm going to pay uh, $1.9 million out of our general fund, um, right. you would probably require some sort of justification. You would require... Uh, a detailed explanation. A why I would have to have a money. loan. <laughs> that too, because certainly I would. <laughs> so I'll give you 20. I'm good for 20. So All right, let me, let me write that down. Do not ask Travis for $1.9 million. I, I got it. We're good. We're good. Um, but th that's, so th there should be regulation oversight. The problem is that the lottery started a pattern of having people who submitted tickets and, you know, we're, we're not talking chump change. Uh, there, there's one case discussed in my book that's 
$750,000. There's another that's discussed at 1.9, that's 1.9 million. Um, these were cases where there was no legal authority to pay the person who received that money and lottery management chose to do it anyway. So they, they diverted money that would have otherwise gone to school. So, so the way that the state lottery is supposed to work is you have all of these prize pools. So you have Powerball, you have Mega Millions, you have the majority of these uh, lottery games that we all are familiar with. And the way it's supposed to work is a percentage of the sales is automatically diverted to public funds, mm -hmm. public schools, and any unclaimed prizes traditionally were put into that same coffer. So if you had somebody that had a ticket for $1.9 million and they didn't claim it, that 1.9 went back to the public schools. And, and we all know that they need that money. Mm -hmm. So what the lottery started doing is creating things like second chance lotto. So instead of diverting that money into the public school system, they took it and they diverted it back into prize pools. Then they had a very low threshold of what was required to prove that you were a lawful winner in all of these cases. So the lottery with the lack of oversight was not only paying out prizes that they had no legal authority to, to pay out, mm -hmm. they were also acting with uh, complete autonomy to enter into questionable agreements, uh, do no bid contracts, uh, bringing in people that are bringing in companies to, to do things like audit the lottery based upon uh, just a recommendation from an internal auditor, as opposed to actually putting someone through some sort of screening process. When all was said and done, which it took uh, several years for California State Auditor, the person who's supposed to watch the watchers, mm -hmm. um, but they, they, they sugarcoat how they do things. So they, they don't come out and actually disclose everything. And, and they, uh, you know, and instead of having a wide uh, scope for a investigation, they, they have a very narrow scope. So when the auditor went back and looked at just two years of the lottery uh, spending public money with a, with a lack of oversight, mm -hmm. they found that the lottery had actually misappropriated $69 million. Holy smokes. And what, what's interesting about that is that wasn't even including the, the multiple cases that I had given to the state auditor, mm -hmm. along with my partner, Jim. Uh, we wrote a 17-page complaint, and we detailed every shortcoming that the lottery had, everything that they were doing that was in violation of state law, as well as in violation of lottery regulations. None of that was covered in the state auditor report, and they still found $69 million that should have gone to public schools. Wow. And have they corrected? I mean, have they changed their behavior? Or, or? Well, the, the, the funny thing is, and again, every everything is relative. So... Yeah. When you say that California is the well, and, and let me let me stop myself there. When Gavin Newsom says that California is the example that the rest of the country should follow, mm -hmm. uh, just a, a little glimpse of what California politics looks looks like. There have been several bills introduced to require the lottery to repay that money um, and also require additional oversight, so mm -hmm. that the lottery had somebody that was actually giving them proper oversight. One thing that I, I forgot to mention, the state controller's office in California is supposed to oversee the state lottery. The auditor's office found that the state controller's office was actually letting the lottery review their investigative reports and make changes 
prior to actually submitting them and making them. I wonder if they went to work for the FBI. You know, it's funny you should mention that. I wouldn't be surprised. (laughs) And, uh, and all of this was mentioned in the, in the state auditor's report. Hmm. And, uh, so obviously you can't trust the government agencies to properly oversee the government agencies. I know that's shocking. I, I can see the the, the shock yep. and disgust in your face right now. Yeah. Um, but well, that's my normal face. <laughs> well, it's it's because a complete lack of response. I have, I have a face. Of, uh, I have a face for radio. So uh. <laughs> I, I I can relate to that. My friend. It's, it's okay. Yeah. But but yeah, the when you have no actual oversight mm-hmm. you you then trust your elected officials and your elected officials you know in, in the state senate they're supposed to be the ones that are um introducing legislation to address these issues sure. and, and force change and the problem you have in california is that every bill that's been introduced to either force lottery to pay back the money or change oversight has died um, Sounds about right. Yep, withdrawn by the person who introduced it, uh, or couldn't get uh, enough votes. And so, basically, the the auditor's report was released in 2020. It is now 2023. Uh, we're, we're more than halfway through this year, and I, I've been routinely following it. Um, you know, even though I don't live in California anymore, mm-hmm. I, I still it's it's something that's near and dear to my heart. So I kind of want to know what what's happening. Of with course. It. And nothing. There's been no movement whatsoever with that since 2022. And now you look at the national stage where we have a political family, call it a political dynasty if you want to, whatever. Um, you have a political family that that is actually being proven to engage in uh, questionable activity, potentially illegal activity. You have influence peddling. You have all of these shell companies that are moving money around and and federal tax evasion and and things that would get you and I thrown into prison tomorrow oh, yeah. and lie, lie on a federal not, gun form lie on a federal yes. gun form and, and watch <laughs> watch your door get yeah. kicked down and get drug in yeah and, you know you have four handguns and it's an arsenal anyway yeah, <laughs> I, yeah. I digress but you have all of this happening on the national stage. And, you, you know, for me, what's, what's really fascinating is it's playing out before our eyes and no one seems to care, you know, and, and even our, our, our mouthpieces in, in Washington, DC, um, there, there's a whole lot of shaking our fist in the air. This is despicable and, and so on and so forth, but there's no action. You know, we, no. we, we literally have a whistleblower who, um, you talk about being brave. Uh, I there's there's brave and then there's what this guy is doing to have the guts mm-hmm. to put his own safety at risk. Because when, when you were going out and the, the people who are being named in this uh, investigation, uh, you, you've got the, the most powerful office in the country. Oh, you've yeah. got multiple government agencies that I, I guarantee you that guy is under constant surveillance right now. Right. Um, just waiting for some kind of mistake. Mm-hmm. And we actually have politicians that are sitting there calling this man a liar simply because he is uh, disclosing corruption within their own political party. And and that's what disgusts me about 
all of this is mm-hmm. when you are a whistleblower, you you take on certain, you accept certain truths. And those truths are uh, my life could end mm-hmm. either literally or figuratively in the sense that um, I, I may end up in prison. You know, the, the government could come out and they could say at any time uh, what you're saying right now is disclosing uh, secrets or so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. So you accept the fact that you could end up in prison for the rest of your life. You also accept the fact that your name is now attached to what you've disclosed. So for the rest of your life, anytime somebody plugs your name into Google, mm-hmm. They're going to find that you were whistleblower. So there's a lot that goes into this where you're not only sacrificing your your safety, but you're also sacrificing your well-being. Because Mm -hmm. I I can tell you from experience, finding a job isn't necessarily easy when a a good background investigator pops your name into Google and goes, oh, this person's a whistleblower. So all of these things that you do to sacrifice and and make sure that the truth is disclosed for the greater Mm -hmm. good of the public. To have these politicians actively attacking you is despicable in a way that I can't even put into words. Yeah, it's a, I think what happens is, irregardless of the party, the, so I think when they get to D.C., they have their spine removed. Uh, I, I'm wondering why they just all of them just don't flip over sometimes, right? Because they have no spine, any of them, uh, or very few, if that. Uh, that's, a, that's a topic for a different day. So, so would you do it again? Absolutely. You know, the, 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 and here's the funny thing. I've been asked that a lot and uh, you know, there, there were some friends that I gave up that were mm-hmm. in a uh, law enforcement and in government, because again, you go back to persona non grata, yeah. uh, you stepped outside, you're no longer one of us. And uh, the true friends that I've had, the people who have supported me, you know, we, we'll have that discussion. Obviously, you know, we, we pour a couple glasses of, of whiskey and yeah. sit there and drink and you start talking about life. And I'll tell you, I would, because at the end of the day, I was not the type of person that could sit back, watch this play out in front of me and Mm -hmm. not say something a good conscience. And and I'll tell you that the average whistleblower has the same uh, drive, and that's what makes them do this. And there are plenty of people that know that what's occurring is wrong. They, they sit back, they see it, they know it's not right. They know it's illegal mm-hmm. and they don't say anything because, Hey, I'm, I'm 10 years away from retirement or, yep. you know, I'm only five years into my career. So if, if I disclose this, my career's over now. Be done. Yeah. And I, I don't want to say I don't understand that because I absolutely do. Mm-hmm. Um, having gone through what I've gone through, I, I, I completely get it. It is a right. lot easier to just put your head down and not say anything. But I can tell you that despite the sacrifices, where I sit today, I, I feel good about what I did because uh, I was vindicated. You know, mm-hmm. at the end of the day, even though the the state auditor's report in California didn't disclose everything, they disclosed enough, and and that was. For me, really good because at least it forces that government agency to think twice before they take away from, mm-hmm. in my particular case, a, a entity that absolutely needed that money. Because I can tell you, when it comes to schools, uh, we need more education. 
Uh, we oh, need yeah. stricter oversight. There's a lot of things that we need. And if the funding's not there, it just doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. No, I agree 100%. Uh, that, and you got to do that. So, uh, how, how do you? So you 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 published the book. How do you how do you market it? How do you get the name out? Um, so you know, folks, and, and where can they find you? Where can they find the book? So how how, how do you do that? And is that to me? You know, marketing the book is a it's ever evolving, right? On how you want to do it. You know, talking to different authors and and you know coming up with some you know strange thing to be able to do to to get the name out uh, because it's really you're branding yourself. Um, you know, when you write a book, it's, it's not easy, you know, and, and that's mm-hmm. the thing is, uh, I, I got really lucky, uh, early on. I mean, when I went to, when I actually went to try to get the book published, I had several publishers who, uh, just either didn't return my calls or said, uh, yeah, I don't think this is, mm-hmm. uh, on brand for us. Right. Um, simply because getting your, getting your book published as a whistleblower is very difficult unless you have a uh, national uh, notoriety and you have mm-hmm. the proper support. So I was really lucky with defiance, you know, the, the timing worked out perfectly and, and mm-hmm. I was able to get a book published and if I'm being honest with you, it, it hasn't been 100% easy all the time. Uh, early on, when I was trying to to build interest for the book, I had a release date and we were moving forward. Um, I was actually developing a pretty active following on Twitter. Um, I want to say I was somewhere in the ballpark of 3,500 or 4,000 followers, and I was getting a lot of interaction and things were good. Um, but a lot of my tweets uh, involved poking holes in... Uh, statements that were made by Kamala Harris, because again, personal experience that was right, right. You know, something that I drew from. And uh, all of a sudden, I, I woke up one day and my account was permanently suspended. Uh, no, no warnings, no, uh, you know, oh, you wow. terms of service, just I'm permanently suspended. And, uh, you know, that kind of put a little bit of a uh, pump the brakes a little bit on the traction. Mm, but sure. What I found is is through self-marketing, networking, talking to people, that, that's really the best way that you can uh, come up with new ways and uh, mm-hmm. new ways to, to get the message out there and to actually uh, get your brand out there. Mm-hmm. And I got really lucky because uh, early on in the release of my book, I was able to get in touch with uh, Randy Sutton. And some, some of your listeners might know who Randy Sutton is, but... Uh, he's a Las Vegas Metro uh, lieutenant who actually retired and um, has been on cops more than any other cop. Mm-hmm. So if you watch reruns of cops, there's a good chance you see Randy Sutton. So he's actually, <laughs> awesome. um, and, well, and also Casino. I don't know if you ever watched Casino, mm-hmm. but um, one of my favorite appearances is he's the cop uh, talking to Al Pacino. I'm sorry, talking to uh, Robert De Niro while uh, Sharon Stone is upstairs um, clearing out her closet. So that's kind mm-hmm. of one of his biggest movie appearances. Mm-hmm. So best-selling author, actor, somebody who's been on Cops, uh, he actually invited me over to his house to uh, drink uh, bourbon and toast to my book being released uh, a week after it came out. So I talked to him and I said, you know, you've, you've gone down this road. You've published your book. Um, as far as marketing and everything else, uh, what have you done? You know, did you have the support you needed? And, and he told me a lot of this does come from you. You know, you have to get your name out oh, there. Oh, yes. You can't rely on other people to do it. No. And if that's coming from someone in my case, you know, this is a guy who's an active uh, Fox News contributor. So you, you can search his name, find him, find his books. 
And if you have him telling you that he's primarily working to put his name out there, mm-hmm. that kind of gave me the, the guidance I need. And then I got lucky, you know, that that kind of stemmed into a few other appearances here and there. Mm-hmm. Um, I have gotten opportunities to go on a podcast and, and also uh, live right. radio interviews to, to put right. the book out there. Uh, launched a website. I'm still in the process of trying to uh, get my my own podcast up and running. And uh, I'd say that the two things you need are, are drive and time. Yes. You know, th- those are the two, t- to me, those are the two biggest things you need to try to get your brand out there because uh, a lot of times it's hard, especially mm-hmm. working a day job. You know, you, you, you work, you come home, and, uh, you know, you've only got about five or six hours left yep. in your day before you have to go to bed and try to start it all over again. Yep. And uh, some days it's hard to mm-hmm. uh, you know, sit down and, and push out a social media post or, uh, you know, pick up the phone and, and try to network yourself with some people or send out some emails. But, um, you know, there's good days and there's there's bad days with that. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I was talking to one of the authors a while ago and he told me what, what you got to do and what he does and what I do now is I take an hour a day and I market, right? Um, because not, and not only am you know, I'm, I'm trying to market the books that I have out now, I'm trying to write another book, then I have the podcast. Um, so, you know, uh, trying to do all of that and, and it's branding. You got to get your name out. Even, you know, I follow a lot of the the prominent uh, authors right now and they they're they're on twitter all the time right they're they're, they're posting all the time and things so you got you got to be able to do that uh you know whether it's instagram twitter tiktok facebook whatever right to be able to get your name out to the people that want to read what you have to you know what you put in your books so i think that's important and you can you can get your book uh where so uh right now amazon's the primary retailer that uh, has my book so um, I am lucky to say that I was actually the number one new release in my genre across all uh, outstanding. Platforms. So I actually, uh, when my book came out, it was the number one new release for uh, paperback, uh, Kindle when the Kindle version came out, and then for the Audible when uh, the Audible version was released. So um, still get some traction with that. Uh, that's the primary uh, way to to find it. Uh, do have a website that you can visit, which is uh, www.readgalbreath.com. And that's uh, R-E-I-D and uh, old-fashioned gal taking a deep breath. And uh, <laughs> awesome. years years of having to try to tell people how to spell my name over the phone. Uh, I, just, I gave up about 20 years ago. And, Ugh. you know, it's an old-fashioned gal, and she's taking a deep breath. There, there you go. Um, and the, uh, that, that's the primary place where you can find it. Um, I okay. am on social media, uh, WW Investigator, which is uh, the whiskey and whistleblowing investigator. So I uh, do enjoy uh, my whiskey as well as my whistleblower cases. So uh, two of Excellent. the things that I'm very passionate about. And uh, I would believe that uh, there might be some opportunities coming down the road to pick up my uh, book in some retail stores, but waiting to hear a little more about that before I say anything. Excellent. Excellent. Well, it was fun hanging out with you in Comic-Con. Uh, oh, and uh, I want to let people know that that was the first time they've ever been to Comic-Con and people do dress up. Oh, big time. You know, <laughs> it's amazing. It's, uh, and a lot of the effort that gets put into uh, some of the things that these guys put on, I, I was impressed because there was a few that looked like they walked right off of a movie screen. And 
it was definitely an interesting event. It was my first time actually yeah. being in Texas ever. So I, I, I'll absolute blast those three. San Antonio is a great city. Uh, so I'll, I'll tell the rest of the world, if you don't think that people get along, different walks, different races, different religion, go to Comic-Con. They all get along. 100%. All, 100%. Everybody. There is no you're this you're that it's like wow that's a cool outfit you know that's a cool superhero you know maybe that's not my thing so i would highly recommend uh everybody go at least one time to see the true melting pot yes. of america excellent oh, well read I, I appreciate it so you, folks go check out his book um uh, and uh you know you never know one day that you, you might decide hey i'm i need to there's stuff I need to get off my chest. And the only way to be able to do that is to blow the whistle on something. So uh, have the testicle fortitude to be able to do that. So uh, good for you. Excellent. Thank you, sir. Appreciate that. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. Absolutely. Thank you for listening to Author Eke. There'll be another episode next week. Please stop by and start your own story. We can't wait to hear it.